This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding, and I'm joined with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. We're going to jump right in in just a minute. Before we do that, you can go to practicalshepherding.com and access all of our resources. You can go to the donate page and to give a financial gift. That's always helpful. A lot of exciting things happening in our ministry. And check out the Shepherd's House when you go to the website, because any pastor or pastor and his wife can come and stay for free uh, at our our cabin that we're using and partnering with a family to be able to use to care for pastors and their wives. So please check that out. Just got to get yourself here. But a beautiful big cabin on 180 acres of, of beautiful Kentucky woods. So I hope uh, you'll take us up on that. Uh, it's filling up, so get get uh, your reservation in on that by going to the form there, filling it out, and it goes straight to our staff. Uh, but Jim, we want to. We've gotten several responses on social media when we put that out there. Say, hey, what do you want us to talk about? We want to try to serve you the best we can, and so that's what we prioritize. And we are getting more and more responses on social media. So thank you for those who are doing that. We recognize we can't do all of them uh, in, in a quick manner, but just know we take note of them and we try to evaluate whether we've already done them or not. Uh, Jim does a good job of sending the old episodes out to you if you ask us to do something and we maybe have already recorded it. So, But you can also go to that page and scroll through and see it's all set up real beautifully, Jim, on that page to sort through it in whatever topics you want to sort through. So feel free to do that as well. But we are going to talk today about a topic, an important topic, a lot of pastors are trying to think through, and it is one that we have been asked about recently in, in a few different ways, and that is, how do you transition a church that is a solo pastor model to a plurality of pastors, elders. So a pastor, elder, same office of the New Testament. We don't want anybody to be confused by that. So when we say a plurality of elders, we are talking about plurality of, of pastors, a pastoral office. And so there are all kinds of different churches, as we know, structures and ecclesiology within that church. Uh, but solo pastor and like deacons or solo pastor and committee members or trustees or what is a very common form of, of church life and structure. And uh, as we're studying the New Testament, as more conversations have been taking place, you know, Jim, you planted a church over 30 years ago with elders. So Did. I know you're kind of, you're watching all this happen in the last, I'd say 15 to 20 years. And you're like, yeah, welcome to the party. You know, we, we're already <laughs> there. But I have to say as one who who pastored and served in Southern Baptist churches, that this the typical traditional SBC model of church is solo pastor and usually plurality of deacons, but not a plurality of pastors. So there's a lot of people asking about how to move to that and the benefits of it and those kinds of things. We have talked about the benefits of a plurality of pastors on this on these podcasts, but what we haven't really talked about, Jim, which we want to address today, is how do you move a church to that to that more biblical model? We would we would say, yeah. Uh, and so let's first start with some passages that maybe help us point to this, Jim. Yeah. Well, I think you you want to be able to establish, and I think you can quickly and easily establish from the Word of God that when elders are referenced in, in regard to church life. Uh, that it is repeatedly in reference to a plurality. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, one of the things we, we establish you know, quickly is that uh, the term elder or pastor or even some of the older translations might say something like bishop 
that these are all interchangeable um, termino- terms. So that when you, you come to a passage like Acts 20, uh, Paul calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus, and he exhorts those elders to shepherd the flock and to mm. take care of them. So, right, you know, so, right. you know th- those kinds of passages, Philippians 1, uh, Paul gives greetings to the church, including the, uh, the overseers or the bishops, uh, bishops plural, uh, and then well, going through Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas going back and establishing uh, for the churches that had been planted elders in every place. Uh, Titus chapter 1, I, le- I, sent, I left you in Crete, you may set in order the things that uh, remain and that you may appoint elders in every place. So mm-hmm. uh, when we see that, uh, we see that's what the Bible describes. Now, we can make the argument that not everything that the Bible describes, it necessarily prescribes. Correct. But I think in this case, particularly when you take a pass, you know, you take all the passages together that you, you would say that this is according to the mind of Christ. Um, let me give you a little confessional statement uh, on this, and this is in the Savoy Declaration and in the... Uh, London Baptist Confession, and I'm sure something like this is in others as well, where it says, uh, a particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members, and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so called and gathered, for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty, which he entrusts them with or calls them to, to be continued to the end of the world, are, are bishops or elders and deacons. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's written over 300 years ago. And just, again, a, a church completely organized according to the mind of Christ has both offices, pastors and deacons, elders elders and deacons. And, and I think both of them are should be plural. Now, you can have a church with no elders. Right. Obviously, the, the churches and that Paul and Barnabas strengthened had no elders before they appointed a mm. plurality of elders. Mm-hmm. So if a church can function with no elders, a church can function with one elder or one pastor. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to argue for and what we're you know stating is that uh, a church like that, that pastor ought to be praying and he ought to train the congregation to pray that the Lord would raise up other pastors as well, because mm. that's what we see in our Bibles. Yeah. No, that's really good, and and I think that you know a little bit a little bit of history here, to, to my understanding, anyways. Some of we have a lot of listeners in different you know different denominational backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You actually come from a Reformed Baptist perspective, which has elders historically yep. in it. You have uh, Presbyterians that have elders and. Bible church backgrounds have elders, like there are right. there are different right. denominations that that have elders, but there are a lot of. Um, Baptist background, Southern Baptist certainly, which is more was which was more my tribe for so long. The typical model was solo pastor, but then plurality of of deacons, and a lot of times those deacons functioned as pseudo elders right. in the church. And there's a couple of reasons, and, and I would say I get asked this question more from more Southern Baptist pastors who are solo pastors and want to move to a plurality more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to say that. Uh, if you're in a church that has you're a solo pastor, and but you have plurality deacons or trustees or whatever they call that, that, that group of leaders in the church, a lot of times we think, oh, this is really bad news. How are we going to make this transition? I would say that the churches that have elders who shouldn't be elders 
is even a bigger mess a lot of times mm. than the churches that don't even have elders. Right. So I just want to highlight that as we're having these categories, <laughs> talking about these categories. Beware. Do not think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to put that caveat. This is not going to be the end all. This Be- isn't going to just, right, just doing it isn't going to solve it. Well, too many people think, well, I watch this in a lot of young guys trying to take their first church. It's a really big deal to them if it, if the church has elders or not. Right. And my first question, they'll a lot of times, say, well, they have elders, so that's good. And it's like, well... Are the elders supposed to be elders? Like right. that that is actually a harder thing to move in a direction. So I just want to highlight mm. that in the beginning of this conversation. We are going to talk more about how do you move a church into that new kind of polity structure. But what you want in your church, regardless, is is not just a plurality of pastors and deacons. Uh, but you want the right people who are qualified for the right. particular offices in them. That's the ultimate goal. Even right. though we're going to be talking about this, right? So um, I want to get that out of the way. History-wise, the solo pastor model, uh, in my understanding, uh, is is really um, you know kind of was birthed about hundred years ago, at least in SBC life, when early early twentieth century, the church was starting to get set up by business practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the solo pastor model kind of came out of this CEO of a company idea. That then you have one guy at the head who is leading right. in that way, and so it was a result of business practices that were being brought into the church during those times, during the Industrial Revolution, and all these other things that were taking place. But a second thing, and this is my opinion, the second thing that has perpetuated that, I believe, into the late 20th century and even the early 21st century, is that pastors, uh, the the model was that pastors would go somewhere for a short time and then leave. Right. Go to the next bigger church, and they'd go there for a time, and then they'd leave. So churches in there got used to the culture of pastors not staying a long time. Yeah. So what ended up happening? Usually, a lot of times, churches will pastors will leave that church worse than they found it when they leave pretty mm. quickly. So what happens? You have a congregation and leaders, and in in a lot of cases, the deacons or those trustees grow cynical towards the next pastor that comes in, yeah. and they started taking his power away as mm. a pastor. Right. To where a lot of times, this is a very typical thing I see now in, in in Baptist life, is a guy will go take a church, and when he's hired to be the pastor, he is being hired to preach and to visit people, and he is stripped of all of his authority in the church. Mm-hmm. It lies with committees. It lies with trustees. It lies right. with deacons. I'm explaining this in this way because yeah. I just want, I want the pastors who are listening and in this conversation with yeah. us to know that when they're in that situation, that's incredibly normal. And that's the normal place that a lot of guys are trying to move their church. So right. I want to highlight that's kind of the typical place we are at. Now let's talk about, so how do we make that that move? We've had podcast conversations where should you have a plurality? We would yeah. both say definitely yes, and you can go back and listen to those podcasts. We're not going to spend a bunch of time advocating for that. We're assuming the listener knows, at least knows, we, we think that's the biblical model. Yeah. So how do... Jim, how would we begin to think about taking a model, a church structure that doesn't understand this, and where do you begin? Where does a pastor begin to try to help a church see something pretty significantly different? Yeah, so I, I think there's there's two ways. So again, taking all that you, you just said and, and recognizing that some may need to go back and listen to some others as far as why why you do this. And again, the answer to why you do this, first of all, is because it's what the Word of God demonstrates. Oh, right. And I think, let me just say quickly, you would you would seek to, I think, hopefully demonstrate to the church the benefit of it to the church 
and then also the benefit of it to a pastor. Exactly. It is so so beneficial to have Correct. fellow pastors. That's right. All right, so you want to go about doing this. So uh, I think you uh, – one thing I'm going to say, maybe in preface to, to this, is that you need to understand that you are going against, for some of you – uh, ignorance and tradition. Yeah. And so when people are ignorant of something, it doesn't mean they're stupid, but it means they've not heard about it. Uh, it can seem scary. And of course, all, everybody knows that at some point in a church, you're going to get to a point where somebody's going to say, but we've never done it that way. Uh, or it's always been this way. Yeah, that's or, right. Or, what are, or somebody might say, well, maybe they've heard of it. Of it yeah. or they've heard, oh, what are we, Presbyterian now or something like that. So, so, so then recognizing that, and yet you realize, all right, this is knowing all of that, knowing it could be contentious, knowing that it could be problematic. So you can have one of two ways. I think initially, Brian, you're going to go about it. And one is that you are determined you're going to bring the church along in regard to revitalization or reformation, whatever, confirmation, conforming yourself to the, to the word of God. And so you can do that either by saying, I'm going to preach a series of sermons on the church. So that's what I did. When I started RBC Louisville, I, uh, or I didn't start it, but when I came here, when I came here as a church plant, mm-hmm. I, I did, I've said this before, I did 40 messages. I think it was 40 messages on the church. On the church and yeah, we had, we dealt with the identity of the church, the membership of the church, the leadership of the church, and the task of the church or duties and responsibilities of the church. So under the leadership of the church, you're able to go through and say, all right, let's look together because what are we what are we trying to do? We're trying to see what the Bible says, right? Yep, right. And now, Brian, perhaps preface to that is you have to ensure that that you are dealing in a congregation that has submitted to the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so that's I think maybe that has to be the first thing is is the Bible sufficient, and is the Bible authoritative? And if you can't answer those two questions, you can't go any further. Let me stop you there before we go on. So you're saying the the first place to start in trying to bring a church along is you have to teach and preach from the word about it. You have to start yeah. there right. so that the word is by the Holy Spirit is going to shape the congregation that way. Not trying to make an argument for it first. Right, right. But, but you actually just have to preach on the text about it. Right. And so the way to do that, again, it may be, again, you have to do this whole matter of establishing the authority and sufficiency of God's yeah, word. Right. Because there are people that believe in the authority, or well, some people believe in the sufficiency, some people believe in the authority. They sometimes have a hard time implementing that because, again, this whole issue of ignorance or tradition comes in. And so what you want to say to a people is, listen, are, are, are we going to be a church that if we see light in God's word, that we go forward? And that if it's different than what we've seen before, listen, if we can establish it exegetically and even historically, uh, that we're not alone and odd and kooky in this, because that's what you want. If you don't no. have an established authority in the scripture, so again, with that being the given, you can do one of two things. One is say, as I just mentioned, you can say, I'm going to talk about the church. I'm going to preach about the church. And that's really perhaps the most head-on way of doing it, to say, I'm going to start a series on church leadership, and we're going to consider what does the Bible say? What is a pastor? Uh, Should there be more than one? What does a pastor do? How does a congregation respond to a pastor? What's a pastor's duty to the flock? What's the duty of a flock to the congregation? Et cetera, you can do that. The other way that you can do it is you're going to preach through a book. And a lot of ways, this is the the easier way in some ways to deal with because this is a, it's just a good way to have to deal with a whole host of topics. So, like, pick a past, know, one of the pastorals. Well, yeah, through. so I say I'm going to preach through First Timothy, or I'm going to preach through Titus. So, if you're preaching through Titus, 
you're not going to get long into it. Uh, chapter one and verse six, I think yeah, it right. is. You're, there it is. Yep. And so you you you're coming with you know a desire to bring the people along, but I, you know what I found is that when the Lord wants us to to deal with something, if we're committed to consecutive expository preaching, preaching through books of the Bible. We will eventually deal with everything God wants us to deal with, and we will do it with uh, biblical proportion. Uh, you know, our mountains are going to be God's mountains, our molehills will right. be God's molehills. So it's not just left up to us to create that, right. but our exegesis does that. So I think either is viable. Um, I think either is viable as well. What the, the, what extra, the additional thing I want to put into this, though, is if you're planting a church like you did, I think you can do what you did, and it works well. Whether you preach through one of the pastorals or whether you preach a forty-week series on on the church, I think you can do that in a church plant. If you're going to an established church, what we just described, what, both in preaching a series on the church or preaching through a pastoral, I think is still a good strategy. It can't happen in the first year, is what right, I would say. Right. Right. So, it just as I'm saying that, because a lot of I totally agree with you, especially in a church plant. I think it's probably a good thing to do. It's a different environment. But if you're in an established church, which most pastors are, by the way, that they're going to, they need to have a, a, I think, a few years under their belt before they try to tackle this publicly from the pulpit right. in these kind of series stuff. But, Be, but because but, you're asking, Brian, in that case, and we've dealt with this before, is how do you triage? What do you do? What right. do you deal with? That's right. And what, where and when do you have what we sometimes call the relational collateral? or the affectionate collateral, or the collateral that comes from your integrity and your handling of the word that people are going to right. you know, be be like, hey, no, we need to listen to what he says about this and That's not right. like, well, I never heard this before. Pastor so-and-so never said this. And I'll, let me just say this for the record. If you go into an established church that's existed for 100 years and you preach a sermon series on what the church is in your first 12 months, you're basically preaching to them that they have done church wrong for the last hundred years. That is not going to be received well in a typical established <laughs> church. Just want to be on the record you right. know, to say that. Although that's probably what I would have done. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I'm glad you planted the church there, right, Jim. Right, so, right. But that, but I, want I would have done that when I was 27. <laughs> I don't know that I would do that now. That's probably true. I want to highlight that because I do have conversations with new, with young new pastors, yeah. who think, all right, I'm here. What, you know, what do I need to start getting? Right, and I'm right, like, right. okay, chill. Just, yeah. just, just preach settle the word, down. Preach, a preach gospel. through the gospel, right? right. Yeah, preach, preach through the it. gospels. Love get being everybody's home in the first year. Like, like. So I think that I want to make sure the things we're talking about is the strategy. But I would say you got to have a, a five plus years of the strategy working itself out. So okay, so let's start there. You preach and teach. By the way, just in my context, and most of you know the hostile environment I was in, like about three years in on a Wednesday night, I started doing Wednesday night Bible study through First Timothy. Okay. That's when I first really started to deal with this. Three years in, I spent 18 months teaching through First Timothy on a Wednesday night. Right. And the whole time I did it, I just taught what the text said. I At no point did I say, so see, we should do this. Like I really was committed to let me let me show what that's show what's in the Bible what what the yeah. structure is, then you can start bringing that to bear on how that might affect the church. Okay, so let's, right. that's the first step. What would be the next step once? So let's say somebody like me, I, I spent eighteen months preaching through or teaching through First Timothy. You did forty weeks on what is the church from the pulpit. What's the next step after that? To establish so after, okay, week forty one. What did you do? Week forty one. What did you preach? So, then? so you preach, 
You have to lay that out. You have to show this is, this is what's in the Bible. And, 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 and in preaching, not just that there's plurality, but what they do and how they function and why it's beneficial. I think you need, you need to bring all of that yep. out. All right, yep. So first thing you do is you preach. Brian, this, this, the, I, you have to pray because yeah. it, Christ is the giver of these gifts. So that's Ephesians chapter 4. He gave some to be. Yep. Uh, apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, some, some pastors and teachers. And so once the congregation is convinced, you need to begin to pray. Hmm. So the I, I, I so I want to make that clear. Yeah. I, but I then agree. I want to say good. then it's I want to say you need to start looking. So you need to preach, you need to pray, you need to look. And that is look out from among you. So this is what happened in uh, what the church did in Acts chapter six in regard to the diaconate. I think we can argue that similarly here, you begin to look, and then with that look and we can open this up, but I think you need to look and then begin to train. And so you're looking. The congregation is praying, and you're encouraging them to look out. Look out from among you. And if you begin to see that there is somebody who uh, is acting like a shepherd, they're discipling people, they've got a godly life, they seem to have some gift, some ability, they, they lead a service, or they're teaching a Bible study, or they're, they're, you know, they preach at the local prison, and you get good reports back. You seem to have a camaraderie with them, or whatever. That you, you, you begin to approach somebody like that, and you ask a question: Do, do, do you have any aspirations? Do you have any desires? Is there anything in you that wants to, you know, shepherd the, the sheep when you see sheep in need? Is your heart drawn out? You know, do you have a desire to meet that need? When you see somebody struggling, you want to come alongside and help them with the word. You know, you're the kind of guy who's, yeah, gets together with people, encourages people, has them in their home, yeah. starts Bible studies, whatever it is. And so you do that. You do both the looking and then you begin the work of training or equipping. If, if, if you have reason to believe, I should invest in this person. Yeah, that's really good because what one of the things that that happens a lot is some guys will read a book and they're told they should have elders in their church and like I don't have elders, so I'm going to go fight the battle to try to get elders. I'm going to like change bylaws and constitution. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then they fight all those battles, they burn all that relational collateral and then they look around them and they don't have any elders right. to put into to right. the, to be elders. So that is a that is a helpful way to think about that. And I mean, all those things, those things go together. Obviously, you're praying for this. As you're praying, you're you're looking for the for the men that could be raised up. And some of the best advice I ever got in finding elders in your church is look for the men who, and I think this is true for deacons too, by the way. Right. Look for those who uh, act like an elder, serve like an elder, uh, talk like an elder. People look to them like they're an elder right. without the title recognition or pay. And, and when you just see those men that God's, that's a lot of times how you, they self-identify in a lot of ways. Like you have to look, you got to intentionally train, especially those maybe who aren't thinking that way. But the congregation will gravitate to those, hopefully, that you would naturally want to put in that role. That's really ideal. And that was some great advice that I received from, from somebody. Yeah. Look, look for those who are doing the work of an elder who aren't getting paid or recognized for it. That's usually who's, who's going to be your, the person you're going to want to raise up for that particular position. Yeah. So I would say, Brian, once that has been done, so this is just trying to work through this. So I'm going to say act. So I got, I got preach, pray, look. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Preach, pray, pray pr- look, pro- 
Prospects. Prospects. See, that's oh, why I get paid oh, okay. the big bucks. You see that? I brought, okay. So you got to get a fourth P in here now. So. Oh, okay. Come All on. right. Let me try to put this one in uh, a P. Uh, <laughs> Putting you on the uh, spot. <laughs> pack. No, act with a P. Packed. No. Never or be mind. Proactive. Never mind. Be proactive. We can, maybe I can say this. But at some point, you have to act. And, and what yeah. I would say is this then. You, you, you're going to bring, and whether it's internal and with the recognition is if it's not internal, you may need to look bring external. Mm. And right. perhaps there, depending on the circumstance, situation, you were a seminary grad, you got friends that maybe you believe are qualified, they might be able to come and move their family there. And then you're going to have to get into the whole issue of compensation, or you have two fully supported, you know, yeah. uh, one partially supported, however you work through that. That's a whole other question. But it's, it's something worth talking about. Um, but you have to act. And so what that means is, uh, I, I would say uh, two things. You preach through the qualifications very specifically. Open up open up First Timothy three, open up Titus one, and then I think your supportive texts are Acts chapter twenty and first Peter chapter five, Hebrews thirteen. Uh, and and you put those together. First Thessalonians five, perhaps another one that you could bring in. But you preach about this and then you uh, commend this person to the prayers and consciences of the people so that you would have a period of interaction. You know, it, it, it could be, it, that could last anywhere from a matter of days to weeks to months. It shouldn't be years. With the goal that the congregation then eventually is able to affirm that right, person. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what we did with the last man that we brought into our uh, eldership, uh, we first made a, you know, we made a case as to why we thought we needed another elder. So we had three elders at the time. Okay. So why do you need another elder? Uh, and so a lot of that had to do with the fact that, well, some of us are getting old. So I'm the youngest. I'm 59. And at that point, I was the youngest of the elders. Wow. Uh, so one of my fellow elders is 71. He's, he's overall in good shape, starting to wear and tear just a little bit. Uh, and then another of my fellow elders is uh, four months older, but he has, so we're very close to the same age. I sound like I'm in first grade. Yeah. I'm four months <laughs> younger. So, um, but he has MS. Uh, so that weighs on him physically. Yeah, and, so that affects, and as, and as, yeah. and as people who have listened to this know, I have been beset with various bodily weaknesses. <laughs> uh, and so the idea of bringing on a young man, a guy that I could train with, that I could yeah. really take under my made wing, a lot of sense. you yeah. know, so yeah. a lot of that made, made sense, but then should this be the guy? Yeah. And so we began with, uh, sent out a survey to the congregation, asked 10, 15 questions about him. And you know, are you are you benefiting from his ministry? You believe he's a godly man. You know, would you like to see him come on here, et cetera? You know, work through that, and that was a way of getting you know the congregation. Yeah. And then once that was established, and and a great majority of the people said, yeah, we want to pursue this, was entering into a time of of some weeks of prayer. And so at our prayer meetings and other things, we would spend time praying that the mind of Christ would be na- be made known in this. Uh, and then, you know, he was brought for the congregation. So I appreciate you sharing that. And those are really helpful, those four steps. What I want to do for the remainder of our time, Jim, is because this is really kind of the spirit of the question that was asked of us, I believe, and that's pastorally, how do you walk a church through that, those four steps when there's tradition and 
some we haven't mentioned. There is embedded authority in that church and how it functions. Yeah, and that's what I face. That's what a lot of guys are facing trying to make this transition. And I want to acknowledge that there's authority in places it should not exist in the church. Right, and they're the ones that are going to fight because this is going to be an authority change. I remember in year five, it was one of the things that made the church blow up. In our church was we were talking about making this move. That was what that was what we were doing. We were moving to a plurality of pastors. But the real issue was who's in charge? What's the who's who's in authority in this church? And so that's what a lot of guys are going to face. So here's what I want to do. I want to just chat a, a last couple minutes on how do we think through pastorally around trying to pastor a congregation who's resistant? Like you've spent time in prayer and teaching the Bible on this. Like you think this is going to be a home run. Everybody's going to be up for this, right? Because it's really clear in yeah, scripture. Right. So what are the things we want to think about in how do we? win different congregational members. I want to mention uh, something, and then I'll kind of go to you to see what, what you would mention, what you would say. But you have to pastor people through this. If you just teach from the pulpit, and you don't have any one-on-one conversations right. sitting in living rooms and on porches with this, then people will not be with you. Right. Part of you doing this and taking years to move the church in this different direction is that they grow to trust you as their pastor. So even though this is different, and even you're bringing an idea of doing some aspects of church different than we've been doing it for the last hundred years, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you because I, I trust your what I trust you as an individual, right. and that's what you have to get to to make usually one of these big moves. Like a lot of times, churches with solo pastors is that's been that way for a, a long time. And if you've got a church that is cynical about the pastoral office because of the hurt pastors have brought to congregations in the past. The last thing a lot of them want is more than one of them. So you're going to have yeah. to work through, you have to be aware of that. And the only way you can know that is you've got to relationally know your people. You've got to know what the pain and the wounds and the hurt came from previous pastors or somebody who maybe tried to do this before. Like you have to pastor people to organically know what the feel of the congregation is. That's really what determines, in my opinion, whether this takes three years or five years, seven or, or 12 years to do this. So. What would you add to that as far as how do you pastor yeah. people through a, a big change like this that comes? Yeah, and I think, I think you have to recognize what's the difference between uh, an obstinate opponent, yeah. uh, a, a power-grabbing obstinate opponent like some chairman of the deacons right. versus somebody who is confused or yeah. scared. Yep, that's good. Uh, you know, you have to make—and if you treat— the one is the other, then you're going to do a lot of damage. You probably won't survive. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, Brian, there's a, there's a tough tension that I feel in this. And, and, uh, and again, part of this is my background and some of this, you know, so some of this is convictional and it's in me. I'm trying to learn with this. But when you say to yourself, listen, this is what the Bible said, and you're convinced this is what the Bible says. On some sense, that that does you know what becomes a hill to die on, but you know, and it doesn't. But it doesn't mean it's a hill to die on right now. Right. But you are going to say, "Listen, this is what it says." I think we're going to back up, and I, I meant to say this earlier. I do think you need to publicly acknowledge that. Listen, I hear you. I understand this is different, and I understand. I understand that for some of you, this sounds this sounds really crazy. I'm just asking you to please would you give me the respect of letting us look at the Bible together on this? And you may not come to the same conclusion I right, have, right. but I'm, I want you to see why I'm where I am. 
And then I want to explain why I believe this is good for you and that this is good for me mm-hmm. and it's good for us. I think you need to come come at it with that and not just a swaggering, you know, to, you know, that's what the Bible says and dad going it, we're going to do it or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm out of here or you're out of here, yeah, you know. It's a great way to get fired, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. or to tyrannize the congregation. Right. I mean, yeah. you could bully them. You Some guys have the ability to bully them into submission and he'll just – uh, you know, because they're not going to fire him or whatever, well, he'll, he'll just, run everybody, he'll off, run he'll everybody run off, off right. except a few people, yep. some sycophantic yep. yes men. So you don't want to do that. But at the same time, you know, at some point, you know, you, you have to establish that, listen, if, at what point when you are laying out the will of God for a congregation, do you say, now let's vote on whether or not this is the will of God? It's either, well, you know, our voting on it doesn't make it the will of God. But but you have to get people to that point where they can. Yeah, you gotta have buy-in. Yeah, yeah, you have to have buy-in. So and and so you might need to bring this out, and then you might need to back off a little bit. That's good. I'm I'm glad you brought up the contentious, obstinate person versus the person who's confused or doesn't understand totally what's happening, because uh, there's a really big difference in those two people. Right. But this is one of the many reasons, as many know. Why I advocate why I advocate for five five years the five year right. rule because in my opinion and this was true in my own ministry but I think this is true pretty consistently is the obstinate person against something that you want to do and the person who's confused and doesn't understand is hard to distinguish those people in the early years right in the same way I've said before that that it's very hard to distinguish between uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing and wounded sheep in those first few years. Right. So it, it takes time, but you're right. Once you truly realize who the obstinate person is and it's a power grab and they're not going to come around and it's because of that, um, then, yeah, then it's time to fight the battles. It's time to recognize who those people are. What I watch in a lot of guys, though, Jim, is it, within a couple of years, they want to make those calls. Right. And you just can't see it in that amount of time. Right. And, and one of the main ways I know that is the people who I would have told you not only were against me in the early years, but didn't even know Jesus, mm-hmm. ended up being some of the dearest people to me 10 years later. Right. So uh, you've just got to be careful on how quickly you make judgments with people around this. So, Jim, as we wrap up, any final word of advice around moving a church from solo pastor to plurality? Uh, I think, Brian, we ought to go at this with hope. And that is, if this is a, if this is a real congregation of God's people, they love God's word. It, 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 you know, it may have been stifled, but bottom line, they love God's word and will submit to God's word. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. Yeah. So if we're accurately opening up the shepherd's voice, we ought to have confidence that his people will follow eventually. Yeah. Again, they might need it. Might need help. You needed help. There were things you heard and you rejected maybe. So yeah. you know, be patient with that. That's good. But you ought to go about it with the hope that the Christ who loves the church and is the head of the church and provides for the church will lead and guide his people uh, in this way. So I think make your case, do good homework, preach sermons that are easy to understand and that are helpful, and uh, focus on the benefits of this to the mm-hmm. congregation. I think if you do that, you ought, to, you, ought to, you ought to go about it. It may not happen next week, but you ought to have mm-hmm. hope that, with, that on God's timetable, you'll be able to bring this about. That's good. Here's my final word on this. Just because you don't have elders and you want them does not mean your ministry is stuck or insufficiently effective. So a lot of times guys will really die on this hill and say, if I don't have this, then I can't minister here. I can't be effective. I can't do good work here. 
And that is a really inaccurate and bad way to look at your ministry. So uh, I want to just encourage you, if you are plugging away and trying to make this move, and maybe you've been trying for five, seven, eight, ten years, and it still hasn't happened, that doesn't mean you haven't had really fruitful ministry in that place as you continue to pursue to try to bring that along. So trust that, that God is much bigger than... Uh, all the different structures of our church and how we have wired them and structured them. Right. So just remember that you have the Word of God, you have the Holy Spirit, you have a pastoral heart to care and love for people. God does mighty things in that regardless. So keep pursuing the things that the Bible encourages us to pursue as we lead our churches. But uh, God is at work for sure in these other ways, and don't don't miss that. So Jim, will you take a minute and pray for brothers trying to sort through this? Yeah. Uh, Our Father in heaven, thank you for those listening uh, today, and particularly for those who are struggling on this issue. We do pray, Lord, that uh, they might find some benefit uh, from this, uh, that they might be able to seek some counsel if they are are still in need. Uh, Father, pray for them. We pray for their flocks, that as these uh, dear men uh, strive to wisely bring the word of God to bear on the consciences of the people of God, that uh, they would be given help by your Spirit, and that your children would be given help to submit to and to obey uh, what your word teaches. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.